What is the future for athletics? One of the greatest Olympians ever, Carl Lewis, has some ideas. What we have to do is build a sport. We're going to do different things. I'm back. Hello, this is the Olympic Channel podcast. Each week we find something to talk about and then get an Olympic person to talk about it. The reason? Well, why not learn from the very best? We want you to think just like an Olympian. So it started. Life after Usain Bolt in the athletics world. This season's Diamond League is up and running with the meeting in Doha just gone and the one in Shanghai at the time of recording just coming up. Like I said, we speak to one of the greatest Olympians ever, Carl Lewis. He was very opinionated about the future of the sport. Who cares about tradition? It's all changing. We have to change with the times or continue to decline. And afterwards, we get the view from the grassroots with an ex-international runner and now social media don here at the Olympic Channel, Mathilde Delorme. So Carl Lewis is a nine-time Olympic champion and the magazine Sports Illustrated bestowed this grand title of calling him the greatest ever Olympian. He was a dual threat in both the long jump and the sprints across his career. And if you need to catch up on why Carl Lewis is such a legend, then head over to the podcast page on Olympic Channel. We've got a few of his best bits on there. Anyway, our woman, Ashley Tullock, went along to the University of Houston, where Carl Lewis is now part of the coaching team. He's looking to make that college into the new breeding ground for the next superstars on the track. But Ashley started off by asking him what he thought of social media and what effect it had on his current crop of students. I really wish I had social media. Um, my career would have been different if I did have social media in a lot of ways because what it does is it allows you to um, tell your own voice, tell your own story in, in a way that sometimes you can't get out when you're talking through someone. So with the athletes that you're training, do you allow them to su subscribe to it? I mean, how, how do you manage that? Well, we, we encourage all of them to get involved in social media because the bottom line is that uh, you're, we're in college now and I'm coaching athletes, but mm -hmm. also teaching young people. And, and, and being honest with them, you're in college for one reason, to ultimately earn a living. So your brand, if it's, if it's strong, if it's solid, then you can earn a better living. The minute I start recruiting an athlete or I get to know an athlete, I start monitoring their social media. So if I see something that's out of line, even if they've never signed here, I'll tell them to, to watch what they're saying and watch what they're doing because that never goes away. Um, and then the flip side, I also talk to them about how to use the social media mm -hmm. in a way that could be an advantage. One of the things that kids do now is they want to have these goofy names <laughs> on Twitter or something, because that's what I use. I don't use Facebook and I don't use Instagram. Right. So, um, and I'm like, why are you using a goofy name that no one can find you? The whole point <laughs> of it is to use your, show your brand. Twitter is the way athletes communicate. So if you don't have a name, then you can't communicate. Must be a fun day when an athlete gets Carl Lewis following them. Well, it, it, it's interesting. <laughs> um, I actually, it's the easiest way for me to communicate with people now. Um, and I don't mean not talking, I pick up the phone and everything, but, but I can find someone on Twitter and then it's easier to just go and look and remember who they are because when you're on a phone and you text message, there's like, gosh, who was that that I sent that <laughs> message to? You do forget because there's so many people. Uh, you know, right now in my group alone, it's like 25 athletes, wow. but then, we recruited and brought in on a visit over 60 athletes this year. So I've got to deal with about 80 to 90 athletes and then on top of that coaches and parents and families. So we're into the hundreds that I've got to remember and communicate with every single year. So 
it is a challenge and that's an easy way. I'm like, who is that that just sent me that message? Look at their profile, I've got it. Let's talk a little bit more about the new bloods coming through. Um, I can only imagine how much analyzing you do and, and video watching you do to see who's out there and what's happening. Um, the post-Bolt era is an interesting place. What, what do you make of where the track and field sport is right now since his departure? Well, I think it is a, an amazingly unique opportunity because, I, you know, honestly, I think Usain really missed uh, a huge opportunity for himself because during that period, the sport really declined. And I think he could have done a lot more in broadening the sport outside of himself. And, and now that he's retired, people are saying, what are we gonna do? Well, now what we're gonna do is build a sport back again. We have to have a clear vision of what we want to do so that everyone benefits. If we continue to think, you know, the sport is about one star and one person, then track and field will continue to contract like it has been. So are you saying that there's a gap in the system at the moment? Well, track and field is not a professional sport. It's, an, it's a post-collegiate sport in the United States with some people making money. And until it's a professional sport, we have to change what we're doing. Um, there's a huge gap. In, in the past even 10 years, uh, we've lost meets every single year. And I think the Federation has a unique opportunity to instead of trying to run events and cannibalize sponsors and people, they really should, should let those events become individual and focus on supporting them and creating new ones. Um, right now, we're starting Team Perfect Method. And um, I'm excited about that because the athletes that, are, that I'm coaching here Leor, uh, Cameron Burrell, Elijah Hall, LaShawn Collins, they're gonna stay together. And we're creating a team, just like the Santa Monica Track Club, but with a new millennium, with a, with a pure corporate sponsorship, um, mm -hmm. with, with them having the power to help an event, going to events early, uh, trying to, to reach out to sponsors and say, hey, why don't you sponsor an event in your city and we will come. It is a challenge, but it's something that we have to do in order to give an opportunity for the athletes of the future. You know, I recruit and, and every single kid that I recruit says, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to be a professional track athlete. So it's my, part my obligation to make sure there's a sport there for them to do it. Are you almost suggesting that the sport needs to be more accessible? Well, the sport needs to be, first of all, more accessible, but what we have to do is stop thinking of it as a track and field sport and think of it as a sport and a business. Mm. You see, we, we accept the fact that, oh, people don't come to track meets. Well, so because of that, they're empty and boring. So instead, make it entertaining. Why? There's so many things we can do. We have social media. We have uh, new ways to track races. Why are we not uh, working with the timing companies to make it more exciting? Just like hockey a few years ago, they, had, they were tra tracking the, the puck just to make it more exciting. Um, football now has... The, the, the football line, so that you know where the first down is. There's so many things we can do, even within the context of a meet. Why do we have events going at the same time? What I would do, just a small example, is a long jump. Let's say we have eight long jumpers. Well, we should schedule every event down to the minute. So long jumpers uh, and a high jumper and a pole voter and a javelin thrower, they could all be on the field at the same time. That's not a problem, and it happens. But it's like this three-ring circus that people are just overwhelmed with. Why don't we have the 100 meters at 10.05, and then long jumper number one at 10.07, and then high jumper at 10.08, then back to the 200 at 10.09. I mean, really schedule this thing. Okay, now it's your moment. So the whole stadium moves with the event. And so now you're not having these events in between, and you can, you can feature 
every single sport because now you're telling it and then you tell the story of that person. So now you tell the long jumper for the next two minutes, this long jumper's up and now we're saying this long jumper's done this, 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 so you're telling that story. And then you're not just getting up with your two minutes, but you're gonna have to learn how to be a part of the show. Mm -hmm. So um, long jumper one is at this time, long jumper two may be seven minutes from now, but, but you have less people, make it tighter, but everyone gets featured and in that time sprain, you can talk about that. During a distance race, it takes off. You can go to, now we're in the backstretch, so we're gonna go and so-and-so is a great kicker, so look for him to do this. Where I, and the time should be up on there, every single thing. Maybe have a track going around something that they're tracking that shows the world record pace, if you wanna do, or the meet record pace. These are things we can do. You have a camera going, why not have something they can watch? We need to keep people engaged all the time and, and, and think of it new. And the athletes, have to um, be engaged in it. And they have to say, you know what? We're gonna have to change our rules. They went to four long jumps, long jumpers, and everyone, all the jumpers said, I don't like this, it's, it's not traditional. Who cares about tradition? You know what? The X Games is not traditional. <laughs> Sports are not traditional. Basketball is different. Football is different. It's all changing. We have to change with the times or continue to decline. So how do we, how does the sport stop athletes from going off to other sports like football and whatnot, how do we, how do you retain, how does track and field retain its athletes? Well, I think the thing about retaining the athletes, I, I, I think, I don't think that's as big a deal as people make it. I, I don't, I, I, look, look, we have, the United States, for instance, a lot of kids go to other sports. Well, there are a lot of fast kids. There are a lot of athletic kids. And we're not, you know, they say we're losing these kids to football. Well, that's fine. What we have to do is focus on why is this sport the sport you want to be in. Mm -hmm. What I do, because I deal with kids that play football and run track back and forth, and it's, it's not my job to say, oh, we're losing all of them. No, I make a compelling argument. There are a couple of athletes that I know that stopped playing football because I sat right in their house with their mother making me some good old fried chicken, and I told them, I said, it's great. Super Bowl's great. I know Super Bowl people. I'm an Eagles fan, so I'm still celebrating from our Super Bowl, um, the Pro Bowl, the money, all of that. But there's only one Olympian. There's only one Olympic champion every four years. And so a Super Bowl champion, it's amazing, it's great, it's wonderful, we get it, and there's money, I get it. But you're historic. There's, there's every four years, there's one Olympic champion in the 100 meters. That's it, you are etched in, in history forever. And so we have to make our story compelling, create an event that people want to do it. We're not gonna compete financially with football right now. Of course not. But if you look at it, if we can build our sport where it's exciting and it's fun and people can earn a really good living and we can get to more than one seven-figure person and there's a bottom line where the basis of athletes can earn a solid living, then I think that we'll be a lot more successful. We have to create our own compelling story instead of complaining about theirs. So who who is coming through? Let's look at the new blood coming through. Who, who are the next kings of the track? Who are the ones that we're going to be looking at at the next Olympics in Tokyo 2020 and, and essentially filling the void of the big Jamaican sprinter that was there the last few Olympics? Well, well, the thing about it is that, you know, Jamaica had their run and it's kind of back to normal again, you know, and so I, I think what, where we are, I'm a, I'm a coach here at Houston. So when I took this job in 2014, you know, I talked to the president of the university who I'm very good friends with, Renu Couture. And I told her, I said, my goal is to have five Olympians in 2020 and, we, and we'll become national champions. Well, we're, one step is there. We 
have, um, we could become national champions, and that's a goal of ours. But I'm still sticking to the five um, Olympians. Right now I have LaShawn Collins, who just recently led off the U.S. relay team at the World Relays, and he's in the relay pool. He will be one that I'm looking to, Cameron Burrell, Elijah Hall. These are three guys that I look to be there. And, and this is something that we started talking about when they were freshmen. This is a plan. Now, Christian Coleman has been running phenomenal, and, and then we've got you know, others around there. But my main issue is that when people come here, every athlete that comes here says they want to go to the Olympics. So my goal is to make sure that they all have an opportunity to do it. We won't have, I don't think that our sport will have like the man anymore, because what we have to do is build a sport. We're going to do different things. I'm back. Many thanks to Ash for doing that interview, Julian Williams for recording it, and of course to Carl Lewis for being very generous with his time. So now, to expand on those ideas that Carl Lewis put out, here with me is Mathilde Delorme. Hello, Matty. Hi there, Ed. So she works for the Olympic Channel as one of our social media elves, but in a previous life was a pretty decent runner in Australia. So if you could just let us know a little bit about your running career first off. Well, I was always a fast runner growing up and I managed to juggle, you know, a few little sports as a little bean sprout with the energy of a bean sprout. When I got to a certain level, I feel like there's a point and a trajectory where you're a good athlete and there's a barrier you need to push to become great and to become elite. And I think I blocked at, at exactly that point. That's the point where I, where, I, where I felt that mental block. And I think that block came from fear of competition. What were the, the sort of best times that you were running? I was running low 12s and I never managed to break that 12 second barrier. And I think when you break that, uh, that you're really on the roll to, to the elite path. So I never managed to do that. But uh, my, my best event was actually the 60. It was pure power. Unlike Carl Lewis, you were around when social media was around. I definitely agree on his point on social media and building a personal brand. I think it's an opportunity that we have now as athletes that he might not have had in his time and, and the importance of, of that as, as being an amateur in the sport and in a way of making a living through social media and building a personal brand. What about the control of the coach? I thought that that was quite overbearing. My coach actually said some really wise words to me that you only be a successful athlete if you trust in the program. And that kind of spawns across whatever you're doing. So if you trust in the program, you trust the coach. And to trust the coach, that so you trust that he knows what is good and what is not good for your environment. Mm. So Usain Bolt, he's gone now. He must have been talk of the track when you were competing. As someone who's been running around at the, at the grassroots, what did you think of what Carl was saying about Usain Bolt? He definitely was. You know, when I was younger, I actually didn't, I thought his name was a joke. <laughs> when I first heard of Usain Bolt, I said, what's his real name? Because I knew he ran so fast. And when I found out, it definitely wasn't a joke. It was a little less funny and a bit more impressive. I do want to, I, I agree and I disagree with, with Carl on the fact that athletics shouldn't have one big superstar. It's kind of the glory of the entire sport as well. And uh, it pushes the aspiration for a lot of younger athletes. So he paved a way, I'm sure, for many younger athletes to inspire to be, to be just like him. I think one of the things that Usain Bolt did was that he managed to get over the noise and that can only happen like if there's one thing and one person to, to focus on. So I remember I was working in a newsroom that was predominantly interested in soccer, in football, and it was a three o'clock kickoff. And at three o'clock was the exact time that 2008 100 meters final was happening. And at that time he broke the world record and the whole office wasn't watching the football. 
even though they were supposed to be, they were watching 100 metres. Well, and that doesn't happen very often. And I think once every four years. Well, once every four years, but the world record doesn't get broken at the Olympics very right. often either. You know, like that is like once in a lifetime kind of stuff. So it's like, I get what Carl Lewis is saying about putting all your eggs in one basket, but I guess you're saying, you know, there is benefits to that as well. Just in, he really increased the visibility to the sport, I think, and uh, created that aspiration for many youth, for many youth of the sport. And uh, so I don't think it, you know, it's such a bad thing that there was a reign for so long and that all the attention was on one specific athlete. It, it showed kind of the excellence that there could be in the sport and the potential that there is in this sport, while the attention often outside of athletics is not on track and field. It'd be interesting to see what happens after the Bolt era, though. Maybe it'll be a woman that'll come up and take and take Bolt's space in athletics? What, what do you think, Ed? Oh, I can't <laughs> say. <laughs> As a woman, would you be pleased to see some uh, another woman step into that role? 100%. 100%. And you've also said to me that you've had a bit mixed feelings about your sporting career, but the draw of winning an Olympic medal or just being at the Olympic Games was something that you can relate to, right? Right, Carl mentioned something that really resonated me to why I actually stayed in the sport for so long in the time that I did, and it's the fact that there's only one Olympic champion every four years. And rather than scare me and say, well, the odds are too too high, I'm not even going to try for it, I think the glory in that fact was was what really pushed me to, to achieve it. Mm, there's still a real draw to an Olympic medal, an Olympic gold medal in any sport, but especially athletics, you think? Right. I think that was what made Bolt such a household name or in even in the Olympics, Michael Phelps, for example, that dominated for so long, so many years and with so many gold medals, I think it's rare. Mm, to have such a global superstar. Right. OK, thanks, Matty. You're going to stick around to give us a little recommendation at the end, aren't you? Sure. So, if you're having Pyeongchang withdrawal and Tokyo seems a little distant, then maybe you can get that Olympic feeling back with our Far From Home series. There's the story of the Korean unified team goalkeeper So Jung Shin as the hockey players of North and South Korea came together for Pyeongchang 2018. In another episode, there's the truly inspiring story of Indian luja Shiva Kashavan, who competed in his sixth and final Olympic Games earlier this year. Here's the trailer. Sports is not restricted to a country because of its climate. We call him one in a billion, and actually he is. This is how we practice over here in the Himalayas. I want to make a statement to the world that Malaysia is at the Winter Olympics. We do bobsled, we're from a tropical island. Nothing is impossible. is more important than where you come from. I chose sport not because it was a career. I chose it because I wanted to make a difference. It doesn't matter what race you are, sports bring us together as one. The dream is to get to Pyeongchang, to take part in the Winter Olympic Games. We will do it. We will prove you wrong. No matter what the adversity is, we never give up. There are six episodes in total, and all of them are on olympicchannel.com right now. 
Right, just before we go, Matty is back to give us a few recommendations. So, Matty, what have you been reading lately? And I just finished a real eye-opener called The Power of Habits mm -hmm. and Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business by Charles Duhigg. And it talks about how we have certain habits and how to break the habit loop and how fundamental it is for everyone to break the habit loop. I've got good habits, though. What about my good habits? Or should I be breaking my good habits? Also, as well. <laughs> you should read the book to find out. Well, all right. I'll read the book to find out. And what uh, podcasts, podcasts, what podcasts have you been listening to recently? Believe it or not, when I listen to podcasts, I like to step away from sport. Mm -hmm. And then I work in sport and I was an athlete. We talk about sport a lot here. I think it's important to stream away as well and open your mind. Sure. There's one that I really like at the moment. It's called Design Matters by Debbie Millman, who's quite an established professional in her kind of artistic writer, author career. And she talks about how design is everywhere and the fundamental of design in every kind of sector. Actually, at the Olympics here, we're doing something on, on design called uh, Design Focus. There's a series that's coming up that mm -hmm. focuses on the evolution of the Olympic logo and how important design was in Olympic history and around the Olympic Games. No, no, it's awesome. There's, I went to the Olympic Museum the other week when I was in Lausanne and I was really shocked at how good and how well like the old logos from like the old like Mexico night. Like, Do you think they're not as good as they used to be? No, no, no. I think they're still really, really good. Okay. I think but that, Me Mexico was the greatest one. I've actually got no, it as a phone. No, no. I, I, I just obviously wasn't alive then. So I hadn't seen it. So Well, I had seen it, but I just hadn't really looked at it. So that's why it was so awesome. I've got it on my f screensaver, actually, the Mexico 68 logo. I think it was great. Ah, well, there you go. Well, it tells a lot. Design tells a lot about the, um, I guess, the social impact and the influence of the culture at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you joins can, it into sport. Exactly. You can sort of place where it was in time by just looking at the logo. It's important. Right. Thanks again there, Matty. If you like the podcast today, then please do give us a five-star rating where you can, especially on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. Shout out to Faz1R1 on Instagram, who left us a nice review on iTunes and also sent us a DM with proof. Thanks to him for that. Remember, you can find us across all social media as Olympic Channel. We are still pretty new here, so any shares you do help us out. Thanks if you've done that already. Anyway, enough. Thanks as ever for listening. Until next time.